Sunday morning we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order and because we want to know everything we can about his life and we find ourselves wonderfully immersed in uh, John's Gospel chapter 11, one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible. And uh, we just want to look at uh, a handful of verses, really verses 7 through 10 this morning, but in order to establish a little bit of context, let's begin in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mar Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the great revelation that it is of you. And we love to grow in our understanding of you because the more we know about you, the more we love you. And Lord, we pray that as we study your word this morning, you would deepen our understanding of you and your ways and what you're like. And as a result, deepen our personal relationship with you. Thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit as a teacher and as the one who opens the scriptures up to us. We pray that his influence would be very, very strong, supernaturally strong and effective in our midst here today, taking the truths off of the printed page and making them a part of our daily lives. And we ask for that work of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The main focus of uh, John chapter 11 is Jesus' raising of a man by the name of Lazarus from the dead. And we will ultimately get to that, Lord willing, next week. But within this greater context of Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus, in verses 7 through 10, Jesus has kind of a side conversation with the disciples. How many of and basically this chapter is moving on where it's moving on. But the disciples, so often they would ask something of Jesus, they would say something to Jesus that, you know, might not have been, if they just kind of didn't say anything and just did what he said, it would have been great. But when they said kind of odd things and it forced Jesus to explain things to them, it, it, we end up with things in the scriptures and revelation that we wouldn't otherwise have. So what we have basically here in verses 7 through 10 is an aside, uh, just a co side conversation Jesus is having with the disciples, but even an aside that is made by Jesus is worthy of our study and it contains great, great uh, riches. And so 
it, the context of what is happening here is this. Jesus has just been informed of the very serious illness of a good friend by the name of Lazarus. And he is from the city of Bethany. And messengers have been sent by Lazarus's two sisters, Martha and Mary, from the city of Bethany to cover a journey of 20 miles to Bethabara, where Jesus is, in order to deliver the news to him that this man that Jesus loved so much was not just sick, but he was debilitatingly sick and, and uh, dangerously ill. Jesus, in a very interesting response towards someone that he loves, delayed going to the city of Bethany in order to heal Lazarus. And the reason that he delays is he knows what nobody else knows, and that is that Lazarus is already dead. And Jesus, knowing that he is ultimately going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and knowing how he is uniquely empowered and qualified to do that, uh, it doesn't matter if someone's been dead for one day or four days. It is, requires the same amount of effort on his part to raise him from the dead. So time is of no uh, issue at this particular point. And he's basically giving Lazarus enough time to lie in the grave uh, for four days. His body begins to decompose so that ultimately when he does raise Lazarus from the dead, no one will say that Lazarus had merely swooned and had had a fever and Jesus put a wet washcloth on his head and revived him. He is dead and rotting by the time Jesus raises him from, uh, from the dead. Now after two days of waiting, verse 7, Jesus then informs the disciples that now it's time to go to the city of Bethany. And Bethany was located uh, and is located in a region of Israel, southern Israel, that is known as Judea. Well, the suggestion on Jesus' part that they leave Bethabara and go to Bethany, uh, when the disciples hear this, uh, it provokes an immediate response from them, and they don't like the idea at all. In fact, they're greatly alarmed that Jesus would himself go back into Judea and greatly alarmed that they would also take him, uh, them along with him. And so they protest, they remind Jesus of what happened the last time he was in Judea, how the Jewish religious leaders at that time were so offended by his teaching that they took up stones in order to stone him and, uh, and, and were intent upon killing him right on the spot. So in their minds, going back into Judea meant, number one, the certain death of Jesus. It also meant the likely death of them as his disciples since they would be done stoning Jesus, they would probably turn to his disciples, stone them as well, uh, as a result of guilt by association. So in their mind, a return to Judea was not only dangerous, but it was life-threatening. And they are absolutely correct in their assessment. For Jesus to return to the area of Judea with the disciples was life-threateningly dangerous thing to do. Now, the hesitation of the disciples was based upon something, and that hesitation was based upon a fear for their physical safety. That's what they feared for, and we all have a very strong sense of self-preservation. They possessed it also. 
So to them to go into the area of Judea was, was to put their physical safety in, in jeopardy. Jesus' response to that is in verses 9 and 10. Let me read it once again. Jesus said to them, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. And here Jesus gave the disciples instruction concerning the perspective that they needed to maintain in a very fallen world that we live in, and as a result of being fallen, a very dangerous world that we live in, in order for their decision-making in life not to come under the influence of fear or to be dominated by fear. And so the disciples are in jeopardy of allowing all of the dangers of Judea, the dangers of the world, to become the single great dominant influence in their decision-making. And all of us are, are prone to do it, living a life, uh, falling into living a life of, of fear for our physical safety. Here what Jesus in his explanation to them, he likens the will of God the Father to walking in the light. That's what he likens the will of, of God the Father, walking in the light. And in essence, Jesus is declaring that neither he nor the disciples are in any danger of dying prior to the Father's timing, as they would just walk in God's will. The Jews divided the day into 12 hours. They considered the day to be from 6 a.m. in the morning to 6 p.m. at night. They considered night to be from 6 p.m. until 6 a.m. in the morning. That's how they divided it. In other words, what Jesus is saying here, it, from the Jewish way of thinking, is that the length of a day is set. It's from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and no man can, shut it, can cut it short. And Jesus is saying that what is true of a day was true also of his life. His life could not be taken until it like a day, had run its full course and until he had finished the work that he was intended to do in the day. And in the Jewish mind, a day was a time for work. They associated the day with work. The point that Jesus is making is that as he walked in obedience to the will of the Father, he was in no danger of being killed prematurely or of being killed before his appointed time, and neither were the disciples. Now, one of the interesting things about living in this fallen world, and since we all do, I'm sure you observe the same things that I do, but we do recognize how, because of the danger of this world, how much we prize physical safety in this culture, and indeed in all the cultures of, of the world. We all understand that the world that we live in is a dangerous one, and, and thus we go to great lengths individually as a culture in order to minimize our exposure to the dangers in this world for the purpose of ensuring our physical safety. We love, for example, the biggest police force 
in our cities that our tax dollars can afford to hire because we recognize that the greater there is a respect for law and order and life within a city, the safer the citizens of that city uh, are. We're careful in our uh, concern for limiting our exposure to danger. We're careful about what places we go to in the, in the world. Or, uh, you know, not too many people are taking vacations to Iran or Iraq these days or to other troubled spots in the world. We're careful about not only where we travel worldwide out of a concern for physical safety, but even where we'll travel within a state or within a city. We're very conscious of the time of day that we're going in or night that we're going into particular parts uh, of a city because it always, in, it always into a concern for our physical uh, safety. People keep weapons at home for self-defense in order to protect themselves. Other people take classes in uh, the martial arts and other different things in order to learn how to protect themselves and assure their physical safety. Lots of people buy security systems for their homes, not just to protect their property, but also to ensure the phys their physical safety and the physical safety of, of their families. Why do we do this? Because it's valuable to us. We're concerned about physical safety. And you could go on and on and on and talk about these things, the investment in watchdogs, mace, uh, pepper spray, uh, all of this kind of things that are employed in order to, to safeguard our physical well-being in, in the danger of this world. And all these things are wonderful in their uh, place, but in this passage, Jesus reveals to us the single greatest thing that we can do in order to guarantee our physical safety in this fallen world. And here Jesus declares that physical safety is never found in some geographical location in the world, it, but that the safest place a person can be in the world is to be right in the middle of God's will for our lives. That is the safest place a person can be in the world that is to be in the middle of God's will for our individual lives. Well, that raises the question of how in the world can a person accomplish that practically? How can I know what, that I am in God's will in my life and, and what can I do to keep myself in that place? And the answer is twofold. The number one way of assuring that I am in God's will for my life, the first way to accomplish that is by living a life of just simple obedience to the Word of God. Just as Jesus did. Jesus said in this realm of, related to His obedience, He said, I do always those things that please the Father. Think about all of the physical danger and harm that we are protected from through just a simple obedience to God's commandments in His Word. I think about the physical 
diseases that it protects us from. I think about all of the sexually transmitted diseases that are so prevalent today and so many of them now incurable and even deadly. But for the child of God who obeys God's word, obedience allows us to just go on about enjoying our lives, serving the Lord, all these, these kinds of things without even having a single concern about contracting those diseases. A simple obedience to God's word protects us from having to worry about developing all of the physical uh, diseases and the early death that so often accompanies a life of drunkenness or a life of uh, addiction to uh, illegal drugs. It certainly keeps me out of cars that are being driven by people who are drunk or loaded. As the Bible talks about us being careful about who our peers are to be, as, as we'll see in just a moment. When God's Word commands us, to be super selective, and it commands us to be super selective about who we make our friends in life, who we make our peers in life, who we make our influencers in life. Think about all of the trouble and the danger that our life is spared of as we're careful about who we make our friends and we make sure that our friends and our influencers meet the standard of Scripture. It causes us to avoid all kinds of life-threatening situations in life. Think about, uh, stay, it forces us to stay away from those who can influence us into wrongdoing or influence us into a life of crime. I think about the book of Proverbs. You read the book of Proverbs written by Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And over and over again in the book of Proverbs, I, th I think the one thing that he probably warns against more than any other thing is sexual immorality and prostitution. And in those days, you know, sexually transmitted diseases, they didn't have the cure for some of the diseases that we have a cure for today, but they also didn't have certain sexually transmitted diseases in those days that we have today and have no cure for. But he warned continually in the, toward uh, to being uh, sexually pure in, in the, the, that expression of our life. But I think the second thing that he warned about as I read the book of, of Proverbs, he warned over and over again, is who it is that we make our peers. And he warns over and over again against coming alongside or aligning ourselves with men who are violent, with men who are covetousness, given to robbery, given to theft. Uh, from men who are, are uh, align themselves in order to commit crime. And you see how many people who invest their life in a life of crime end up uh, incarcerated as a result of it and sometimes even dying as a result of it. And simple obedience to the Word of God keeps us clear of, of all of those kinds of things and those kind of concerns. I think about the gangs that are not just a problem in Modesto, but a problem in California, a problem in the United States, and a problem around the world. It's just a matter of what kind of a gang is it. But you always where you have 
the flourishing of gangs, it's always indicative of the fact that you have something in terms of, of structure, law and order, government, these things are unraveling. They're, they're directly proportional to one another. It was interesting to read in a, um, just a, uh, probably a month ago in the newspaper where the kind of watchdog groups that watch this whole, whole kind of thing declared that the two countries that they're watching in the world today that are the most likely in their eyes to unravel where the, the central governments are most likely to lose control of the country and to have them fall completely under the, uh, you know, the uh, oversight and the uh, power and influence of gangs was Pakistan, which doesn't surprise us, but the second one was Mexico. And, and again, the gangs. You think about the, the whole gang side of things, the, the crime that is a side, a, a, a part of, of that lifestyle, but then the violence that's a part of it, the taking of life, then the retribution, the revenge, another life is taken, and so many die in the lifestyle. And just simple obedience to God's Word causes us to steer clear of so many life-threatening kind of problems that, that occur around us and, and, uh, and, and keep us safe. Obedience is a safe place. Because as we disobey God, we're not only putting ourselves up against Him, but we're fighting against all of His creation. God has created the whole world a certain way. He's created the heavens, the earth, the stars, the orbits, the everything. He's created the cycle of life. He's created the seasons. He's created the human body to operate a certain way. And every time we violate God's word or his commandments, we're not only up against him, but we are fighting all of creation. We are going against the stream of how He has made all of life. That's, that is why a life of disobedience to God's Word is exhausting. That's why it leads to a shorter life most often. The world has been created a certain way. It runs in a certain stream. And to go against that means I have to go against that stream. But conversely, to obey God's Word puts me in, in the right flow of the stream of things, of God's creation. It puts me in a right relationship with God. It puts me in a right relationship with His creation. It puts me in a right relationship with, with my fellow man, because it's the right way to live. Solomon, uh, as I mentioned earlier, wrote a lot about this in the book of Proverbs, and he wrote of uh, God's wisdom and God. The, the perfection of God's ways, the blessing of living in line with God's wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 through verse 475. We'll just be a couple of hours. It won't take me any time at all. But, but listen as I read it to you. Concerning God's wisdom, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her, pro, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. 
She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are those who retain her. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And so they shall be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. I like that section in there, the verse in that where God says, Then you shall walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. The safest place we can be in the world. It's not a geographical location. It's not Pacific Grove. It's not San Ramon. The, the safest place is to be living a life of just quiet, daily, simple obedience to God. And the second characteristic of being in God's will is by being fully faithful to God's calling upon our lives. Being busy about God's business in this world. Being busy about fulfilling His call and His purposes for our lives. Advancing His kingdom in this world and the different places that He's put us in this world as an influence and with the different gifts of the Holy Spirit that He's given to us. That keeps us out of all kinds of trouble. Some people... It's probably not very many people, but there might be one or two. Sometimes people think that God has me doing what I'm doing and is a pastor and teaching the Bible and things because maybe he saw some wonderful thing in me. He didn't. I know why he has me doing what he has me doing. He looked at me and said, i got to keep that guy so busy in the things of the Lord and around the Word of God, otherwise he's going to be trouble in the world and it, or he'll be trouble in the body of Christ. Idle hands and idle minds are still the devil's workshop. And being faithful to God's call upon our lives keeps us out of all kinds of trouble. As we see in our passage, Jesus walked in the absolute confidence that his life was untouchable until the Father's eternal purposes were accomplished through His life. And so His death, the timing of His death, would not be by accident. It wouldn't be determined by the forces of darkness, none of those things. But His length of days were determined by heaven itself. The Bible says in John chapter 7, verse 30, concerning Jesus, that they took... Uh, the religious leaders of the Jews, they sought to take Jesus in order to kill him, but no one laid a hand on him. And the reason? Because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't the time for him to be crucified. He was going to be crucified on a certain day at a certain hour. And that's the time that he was crucified. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, in John 17, he prayed a prayer to the Father. And part of what he prayed was, I have glorified you, speaking to Father, 
I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you have called me to do. If he could not pray that prayer on the night before his crucifixion, then he could not have been crucified by all of the world and all of the demonic forces put together on the next day. The reason that he died on the cross on that day was because it was the Father's timing. And the Bible teaches that as we serve the Lord, we have that same confidence too, that our lives are untouchable until God's purposes through our lives are accomplished. Psalm 37, verse 18, the psalmist wrote, The Lord knows the days of the upright. He knows how long each one of us is going to live, and their inheritance shall be forever. Psalm 139, David wrote, I shall praise you, speaking to the Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. David said, you knew before I was even formed in the womb what the length of my life would be. Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he that is the Lord delights in his way. In this vein, I think about the example of the two witnesses for God during the great tribulation period, as is recorded in Revelation chapter 11. These two witnesses are going to be a witness for the Lord on the earth in the city of Jerusalem during the great tribulation period, during a, the terrible moral and spiritual darkness of that time where the devil is dominating the world in a way that he doesn't, isn't even able to do at this point in time. So they stand for God and they serve God and they speak for God in, in a, a time of unparalleled danger for someone who loved God and someone who was righteous. This is going to happen in the future. One of them is going to be Elijah. We don't know who the second witness is going to be. I think it's Moses, but what's my opinion worth? They will testify and speak for the Lord during that great tribulation period for 1,260 days, three and a half years. We don't know if it will be the first three and a half years or the second three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. They will be clothed in sackcloth. Clothing of mourning is an indication of how much their heart is broken over the wickedness of the world and rebellion against God during the tribulation period. And it's interesting that every attempt by the devil, by the Antichrist, by man to kill them in order to silence their, their voice and to stop their ministry will be unsuccessful. It, it will only be when their ministry is over, when they have finished saying the final thing that God wants to have come out of their mouth, the final thing that God wants to say through them, that the Antichrist will then be able to finally make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. 
But that timing isn't in the hands of the devil. It's in the hands of the Lord. Satan is powerless against them until they finish their testimony. And I think about how wonderful and important it is for us to realize this. That as we walk with the Lord, and as we just simply obey Him and serve Him, that death comes to us only when God's work through our lives is completed. And that when that ministry is completed, then given how glorious heaven is, how perfect it is, how forever it is, how comfortable it is in every way, then why in the world would he keep us around for even one more day but in his love to quietly and even powerfully slip us into the glory of heaven forever and ever. Now this passage does not teach that living a life of simple obedience to God's word and spending our lives faithfully serving him will protect us from death uh, forever. But what it does teach us is that when death does come, we can face it with a peace and with a confidence that our earthly ministries are over and that we are now dying in accordance with God's timing. The Apostle Paul experienced this great peace and confidence at the time of his death. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, near the very end of his death, this is how he wrote of it. He said, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but to all those who have loved his appearing. The Apostle Paul was about to die a martyr's death. It is believed that he was uh, executed by Rome and the form of his execution was by beheading. And yet he did not consider the length of his life to be in the hands of Rome or in the hands of some executioner or himself to be a victim of you know, the violence and the injustice of the world. He knew that the length of his life was determined by the Lord and that when death did come, it was only because his ministry on earth was over and now it was time to go to heaven to be appropriately rewarded for the life that he had lived. He could not be killed until his ministry was over. It's fascinating to read in the book of Acts when Paul was ministering in the city of Lystra they didn't like his teaching it was tougher then today they just leave and find another church in Lystra they took him outside the city and they stoned him to death but his ministry wasn't over so God touched his life he stood up he dusted himself off and he went right back into the city. <laughs> that had no power over him. 
until his ministry was over. I think about Dean here today and uh, don't want to embarrass him. But Dean ministers in Moscow. Moscow is the wild west of the world. Modesto is the wild west in its own way. What a crazy old town God has us living in and serving Him in in so many ways. Boy, is heaven going to be nice. We'll appreciate it in a way that someone from Carmel won't. If you're visiting from Carmel, we are picking on you today. It's envy. But Dean is in Moscow, and I mean, that Russia is its own animal in the whole world, and Moscow is just, like I said, the Wild West. But do you know that Dean Malaspina is safer in Moscow, because that's God's call on his life, than he would be in Pacific Grove or in Carmel? It's the truth about his life. It's not measured by geographical location. It's not measured by statistics and all of these things. God knows where he wants to plunk us. He knows how he wants to use us. And he knows how to take care of us all the days of our ministries. I have always appreciated the truth that is found in this passage. God has been able to bring it to my remembrance at important times often while flying. (laughs) Those planes get smaller and smaller the older I get. I hear noises that don't even exist sometimes, I think. But in all seriousness, God wants this truth to anchor our understanding of our lives. And He wants this truth to produce the peace and the confidence that He knows that we need to have as we live for Him and as we serve Him in this fallen world. The safest place in the whole wide world is to be right in the middle of God's will for our lives by simply obeying God's Word in the daily of our lives and then number two, by being fully faithful to God's call upon our lives. Then we can walk through this life again with that peace and with that confidence that keeps our lives and our decision-making from being dominated by a fear for personal safety. Our hands are in, our life is in God's hands. I think about about three weeks ago or so on a Sunday night, the worship team sang a song, the old song, I'll Fly Away. And as I was sitting listening to that and worshiping it, I like stuff, you know, I'm not a big country western guy and, uh, and bluegrass and all that. I like it in its own way, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't buy a lot of that. But I do like to tap my toes on stuff like that. And it's got that whole kind of vibe to it and everything. But as I sat and I, I, I was singing the song and enjoying it with you on the Sunday night as we were, were singing it all, I thought this is so important for us as Christians not to be obsessed by death. I wouldn't want to teach on death every week. We don't need to think about death every day. 
But there is something wonderful about a Christian as we know our Bibles and, and learn them inside and out and, and to understand the biblical perspective as it relates to death that our thinking is dominated by the word, word of God related to the subject of death so that we can view it in a mature way and, and be able to enjoy all the days of our life because we understand what death does in the life of a Christian, but then also when death does come near or even to come for us, to usher us into heaven, that we're able to be able to look at it with a, a great maturity, a great peace, and a great confidence. And the Bible and passages like that allow that to be built into our lives. If you sit here today and you do not know Christ, you have never trusted in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, you don't have this confidence because this is the confidence of one who is in Christ. This is the confidence of someone who has all, who Jesus has provided the victory that allows us to have this kind of confidence. And so I have to be in Him, in relationship with Him, for all of this to apply to my life. So if you don't know Him, you've never made Him your Savior and your Lord, you should do that today. God wants to know you. God wants to forgive you. God wants a personal relationship with you. That's what life is all about, is a relationship with God. Nothing makes sense until we're in that relationship. Everything is emptiness and frustration apart from that relationship. Nothing makes sense apart from that. And God has made a way for us to have a relationship with Him through His Son. And He's made it a gift, something that we just receive for the asking and the requesting. There are going to be men and women up in front immediately after our service. They're going to have a badge on that says prayer so you can identify them easily. And they'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship with God. And then they'll give you a Bible and give you some literature to help get started in your walk with the Lord. It's all there for the asking, all there for the receiving, a quality of life that is incredible, even this side of heaven, to say nothing of the glory that awaits us there. If you need prayer for anything this morning, these same men and women would love to pray with you and to pray for you. Sunday nights we go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation because we want to know the whole Bible. We want to know our God as good as we can know God this side of heaven. And we're currently studying the book of Joshua. And can you believe that a Christian can never appreciate the depth and the beauty and the richness of their salvation without a knowledge of the Old Testament, which includes the book of Joshua. So that's why we study it on Sunday nights. And we'll be doing that tonight at 6 o'clock. And all of you are invited. Let's stand together and we'll pray together. Hmm.